Time now for the quote of the week. And I've chosen one from the former spokesperson for Extinction Rebellion, and now she's the founder of the pro-nuclear campaign group Emergency Reactor. Her name is Zeon Lights. And I chose it for two reasons. I'll tell you about it after I read you the quote. A co-founder of Extinction Rebellion claimed that billions of people would die due to climate change by the end of the century. I refused to defend that claim. It became a huge internal issue in Extinction Rebellion. There were lots of people on my side saying we should retract the claim. And there were lots of people saying that if it woke people up, it didn't matter. I don't think this is helpful. All that happens is predictions don't play out. And then people think the whole thing is a hoax. Well, first point is that the admission that the claim was actually false with the rationale that, in their words, if it woke people up, that's okay. This is the accusation leveled at climate alarmists, many times aided by the media. We see a lack of integrity in the statements, or what some people call the noble lie, being done for what those same people say is the public good. We got that with COVID also. Dr. Anthony Fauci admitted at the outset of the pandemic he lied about masks being ineffective, only to change the public pronouncements, uh, what it was, it June, July last year, but he said he did it because he didn't want the public running out and buying up needed supplies that should be uh, there for healthcare workers. But here's the question should we, uh, that I think we should ask, and that is, in the end, is that an effective strategy? Does misleading the public on purpose an effective way of influence? Or does it actually fuel distrust? Or as Neon Light said, when the prediction doesn't play out, people think the whole thing is a hoax. So she didn't go along. The second aspect is the intense debate, by the way, in the climate change community itself. This is something that has been so consistently overlooked by the Canadian media who presents them like a monolith. And I'll tell you, one of the key areas is the dispute over the nuclear power supply. As I say, simply put, it's misleading and goes nowhere to suggest there's not this division. I mean, there's not one more pronounced, by the way, than renewable versus uh, nuclear power. For example, James Hansen is Al Gore's climate advisor, the scientist who literally started the global warming worry in 1988. But he's in the group of activists that says renewable cannot get the job done. They need nuclear. He says, in quotes, suggesting that renewables will let us phase rapidly off fossil fuels in the U.S., China, India, or the world as a whole is almost the equivalent of believing in the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. Well, there you have it. I think it's a fascinating thing. I think we should explore these divisions more fully and especially the role of nuclear power. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. And I'll tell you, it's a head shaker. As Blacklock's reporter notes, this week, Finance Minister Christia Freeland is under investigation by the Commissioner of Elections over a social policy post tagged by Twitter as fake news. The Post featured a doctored clip of Aaron O'Toole discussing private care in an interview with Kate Harrison, the director of the Ottawa polling firm Abacus Data. And Harrison agreed, by the way, with Twitter in the, uh, about the doctored clip and said it was misleading, stating, in quotes, as the person who asked the question, I'm disappointed to see the video was manipulated to exclude important context. You know what? I have no idea what the finance minister and her staff were thinking. Why do they think that's above board and okay? And I think it speaks volumes. But don't worry, I don't think there's ever going to be a shortage of partisan apologists. But why do they think the public is, ready, is not ready for an honest debate on our election issues instead of the positioning our opponents in a misleading way? 
I mean, we should simply command a higher standard from our politicians, but I don't think we will. But here's the other, and I think it's even the more important part of the goofy, because it's a much bigger problem, and that's our inability to have an honest discussion regarding health care, one where those suggesting changes and innovations are not demonized. I mean, for goodness sakes, in the most recent Commonwealth Fund Index ranking, Canada finished 10th out of 11 well-to-do economies when it comes to health care. I mean, for years, studies have found us near the bottom when it comes to access to MRIs and other modern technology or surgical wait times. Before the pandemic, it was what? Nothing for 50 to 60,000 Canadians a year to be forced to leave the country in order to secure timely care. But more than that, I mean, come on, the private bugaboo, that's a bit much. I mean, it's an absolute farce given we live in a country where doctor's offices are private, so are dentists ophthalmologists, physios, many of the x-ray facilities we'd use, or the walk-in clinics. Because the fact is, about 30% of all healthcare funding in this country is spent on private care. Yet politicians or so-called friends of Medicare, advocates for a failing status quo, pretend that private care doesn't exist. It's an insult to all of our intelligence. I mean, and also, let's not forget that MPs, military personnel, federal prisoners, RCMP, all avoid the wait times in the public sector by using private facilities. Maybe BC is the worst example, by the way. BC NDP government spent millions of tax dollars in an attempt to shut down the private Canby Street Surgery Center, which was started in BC by the BC NDP in order to have injured union workers jump the queue in the public system. Yet we also know NDP cabinet ministers and MLAs have been frequent users of the private clinic but they know their identity is protected by doctor-patient confidentiality. I bet they hope there's never a leak. But the more important issue is our inability to have a rational, fact-based discussion on needed healthcare reform. And given only North Korea and Canada outlaw private care, I think private care better be part of the debate, especially given that after a year of looking at the evidence in the Shawili case, Supreme Court Justices McLaughlin, Major, and Basterash concluded, in quotes, the evidence refutes the government's theoretical contention that a prohibition on private insurance is linked to maintaining quality public health care. And they go on to say, in quotes, many Western democracies that do not impose a monopoly on the delivery of health care have successfully delivered to their citizens medical services that are superior to and more affordable than the services that are presently available in Canada. You know what? We need leadership when it comes to healthcare, but goodness knows, I don't think it's anywhere to be found. That's it for this week's Money Talk Show. I hope you grab and tell everybody about it, and I hope you join me next week. My thanks.